0: So, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this word because it is good, and it is right, and it is the best. And so, Father, we pray that you would open us up, our hearts, our minds. Would you speak to us now here in this place, and we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. A few months ago, I was visiting a friend of mine in the hospital. His wife and his kids were there, and just before we were getting ready to pray, this nurse came walking in to check on my friend. Well, his wife asked the nurse how she was doing, and suddenly the nurse's eyes just started welling up, and her poor, she just started to pour her story out. She was from the Philippines, moved to the Seattle area, but she had no family living here. She was married. Her husband was in the military in Iraq. They'd found out that she was pregnant before he left for Iraq, but uh, after he'd gone, she'd had this miscarriage. She was heartbroken, lonely, and didn't know what to do. So my friend's wife told her that we were about to pray, and uh, would she like us to pray for her? She said she would. So my friend's wife turned to me and said, Pastor. Could you pray for us? I can do that. I prayed a few times. So, so I did. I, I prayed. I prayed for her, for her husband. I prayed for healing for her. I prayed protection over her husband. I prayed that God would show up in her life like he hadn't before and she'd experience his presence. I prayed for my friend and his family as well. Well, when we were done, this nurse, this Filipino wife of an American soldier who was serving in Iraq, this grieving mother was different. She said for the first time since she'd had the miscarriage that she was experiencing relief. She had comfort and hope. She felt this huge burden being lifted from her as we were praying, and she felt God fill her with this amazing sense of His presence and His love. You know, she had a story when she walked into that room, and when she left that day, she had the beginnings of a new story. She had hope. She had faith. And she knew God had more for her than what she was living with. The truth is that we all have a story. Every one of us, we have a story. And maybe your story today is that you uh, love your kids, but the constant day-to-day routine of it is just making you numb, cooking and cleaning and homework and shuttling them around. Your kids are your schedule, and there's just no time left for you or for your marriage. Or maybe it's your job that is driving you nuts, you're bored, or, or maybe you're totally overworked and you just feel like you're flying through life at about 30,000 feet and the people that you care the most about are just little specks on the ground down there somewhere. You're just flying over all of it. Or maybe, maybe it, your story is that you're a student and you're pretty stressed out about having to get all these good grades and be in all these clubs and social activities so it can look good on your college apps. Or maybe there's someone in your life that is trying to pressure you to be someone or to do some things that you don't want to be or you don't want to do. Maybe your story this morning is that you're living in the constant shadow of distrust and bitterness because someone in your past has betrayed you. Maybe it's a failure that you're carrying around or a tragic accident or an illness or an addiction which is wounding you and defining you. Or maybe it's your marriage that is unraveling. We all have a story that we're living. The question is, is this your best one? Now today we're talking about David and this guy named Mephibosheth. When Mephibosheth was five years old, his father, I practiced like hours on that one, baby. (laughs) When Mephibosheth was five years old, his father Jonathan and his grandfather Saul were killed in this war. Fearing a political coup, Mephibosheth's nurse sort of scoops him up and helps him flee and escape. But somehow in all the chaos that was going on, he falls and he ends up lame in both feet. So he grows up handicapped, a political fugitive, living in a remote place where they retrain him to be someone else. Probably with a new name and a new identity. Kind of like Jason Bourne except without all those really cool mixed martial arts moves, you know. (laughs) Fatherless pretending to be someone he's not, living in fear. That's Mephibosheth's story. Now fast forward 20 years. David is now king of Israel. And what David wants to do is something that no other king would want to do. He wants to honor a promise that he made to his friend Jonathan before Jonathan was killed. Now, there's nothing special about honoring a promise, it would seem, except that Mephibosheth was probably next in line for the throne in Saul's family. And most new kings would want to kill Mephibosheth and sort of eliminate the competition. But David doesn't want to do that. Instead, we read in verse 1, he asks, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? David wants to help Mephibosheth, not hurt him. Now the most important verse in this whole passage is verse 3. It's really the key to unlocking what this whole passage is about. David asks, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show, read it with me, God's kindness? That's what this story is about. It's not a story about just David and Mephibosheth and all the really cool things that David did for Mephibosheth. It's about God's kindness, what it looks like what it does, and what happens when it is given away to other people. All David really wants to do is show someone the same kindness that God has shown him throughout his whole entire life. Like that time God showed up and helped David defeat that giant Goliath. Or like all those times God showed up and protected David when King Saul was coming after him to kill him. Or like when uh, God gave David this friend, Jonathan, who rescued him and saved his life. Or like God, when God made David king over Israel, God showed his kindness to David again and again and again. Now this word kindness in the Hebrew is hesed. And it's, it describes a love that is so radical it's used 239 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot of times. God's hesed love is, God's, hesed is God's love in action. It's everything that God's love does. It's all the compassion and joy that God's love does it with. And it's the limitless amount that there is of it. So if you take all of that and you start squeezing it into this one word, chesed, that's what it means. That's what this word is. But besides, you've got to hack a lot, too, when you say a chesed, you know. It's this amazing word. And what David wants to show is he wants to show the same love to Mephibosheth. God's said love in human terms, extravagant, lavish, abundant, undeserved, unbending, life-changing. Now, some of you this morning, as you think about God, may not think about God in those terms. Your God concept may be like that God is something like a, a pretty harsh judge or, or maybe an uninvolved observer or sort of a temperamental boss. So this morning, some of what I want to do just to lay it out there, is I want to mess around with your God concept a little bit. I want to share some things with you because I want to introduce you or with some of you to remind you about the only love on the face of this planet that has the power to change the course of your life and mine and help us live a better story. So the story of David and Mephibosheth, it shows us three different characteristics of God's amazing love. And the first one is this that God's love is unrelenting. It means it's persistent, that it never gives up. Part of the backstory to this passage is that Jonathan was the one who told David about his father, King Saul's plan to kill David. Then he helps David escape and go into hiding. David vowed that he would take care of Jonathan and Jonathan's family when David became king. So at the beginning of this story, David is trying to make good on that commitment. And look at what David does. The text tells us David is taking the initiative. He's pursuing Mephibosheth. He asks where Mephibosheth is. He sends his people to go chase Mephibosheth down and then to bring Mephibosheth back to David. David is persistent, and he isn't satisfied until he's able to do the good that he wants to do for Mephibosheth. That's unrelenting love. Now, David could have fulfilled his vow in another way. He could have just sort of hung around and waited. And maybe Mephibosheth would have pursued him And uh, if Mephibosheth would have dared. And then Mephibosheth could have asked for help. And then David could have done that and fulfilled his vow. It would have been easier for David. it wouldn't have been as much work as it was before, uh, the way that David actually did it. But there is this difference between being submissive and being unrelenting. Between a love which uh, doesn't do anything until it's asked, and a love which pursues, chases down its lover, and pours itself out for the other person. One love is pretty weak and passive. The other is strong and active. So let me ask you, who who wants to be loved passively? Like any takers in this room, anybody just sort of want to be loved passively? You know, always texting a reminder to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, hey, buy me something today, it's my birthday. Or like emailing your husband or your wife, remember, been having a bad week, give me a call. Who loves like that? There's only two words for that kind of love it's over. <laughs> So why do we think we need to beg and bargain and plead for God to show up and show us his great chesed love? Now my wife and I, we uh, have this golden retriever. His name is Blue. And uh, Blue is kind of a fat, lazy, getting fatter sort of dog. I think that's part of the breed. Now, sometimes we take Blue out for a walk around the neighborhood. It takes about 15 minutes to get all the way around. And uh, as soon as we get back to the house, the dog walks inside and literally passes out on the kitchen floor. (laughs) It is pathetic. (laughs) It is a sad sight to see. But when we take that dog to the lake and we throw a ball in the water for that dog to fetch, man, it's an entirely different deal. The dog is suddenly tireless. He will go wherever that ball goes. He will swim as far as he needs to swim to get it. He'll grab it, bring it back, drop it at our feet, shake himself off and half the lake all over us, jump back into the water, and he is ready to do it again. He never gets tired. He never gives up. He never quits. And that is a perfect picture of God's unrelenting love keeps on jumping in with us. It keeps swimming after us and the parts of our story that are broken and need some fixing. Pursuit without end, unrelenting. That's the first characteristic of God's love. The second one is this: that God's love is unconditional. Now Mephibosheth, at the time that David sends for him, is hiding. He's lame in both feet. He's a political fugitive. He's not able to provide for himself. And David has never even heard of this guy. He could have been named Seth for all he knew. You know, he's never even heard of this guy until, uh, until his guys show up and he asks some questions and sends them after Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth does nothing to deserve what happens to him in this passage. Nothing. I mean, when you read this passage, there's nothing there that says Mephibosheth was a really great guy or Mephibosheth did all these really cool things or it just makes your heart break for Mephibosheth. There's nothing going on like this. I mean, life for him is just simply status quo until David finds him and until David returns to him all these possessions that were his grandfather's. And when David does that, there's no conditions, no preconditions there's no really small print for Mephibosheth to get out his reading glasses to have to read through. There's no like hyper-fast talking at the end of the commercial for him to pay attention to, to see if there's any stipulations he's missing out on. There is none of that. David just loves on him, freely giving him this stuff. And it completely changes Mephibosheth. That's what love, unconditional love is all about. Now, Philip Yancey tells a story of a young girl who uh, was rebelling against her parents, ran away from their home in Michigan, and she goes to Detroit. She meets a man who buys her lunch and arranges a place for her to stay. This man gives her some pills, which makes her feel better than she'd ever felt uh, felt, uh, in her life. This man, who she calls boss, teaches her some things. She ends up a prostitute. She gets a place in a penthouse, and she orders room service whenever she wants. But a year goes by and uh, she gets really sick. Then boss kicks kicks her out onto the street without a penny to her name. Everything she makes goes to support her drug habit. It's winter, she's cold, she's hungry, she's lost, she needs a fix. And one day it just all hits her. She just starts sobbing uncontrollably because she remembers and realizes just how good she had it at home. So she makes a decision to call her parents. It's been a long time, but she calls. They're not home. She gets the answering machine instead. So she decides to leave a message. Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and it'll get there about midnight tomorrow. Uh, If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it hits Canada. When the bus finally arrives in her hometown in Michigan, she has no idea if anyone is going to be there. I mean, maybe everybody's just given up and they don't care anymore. So she walks into the terminal and is blown away by what she sees because wearing these ridiculous-looking party hats and blowing these streamers and these noisemakers are 40 family members. There's brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and a great-grandmother. And taped across the back wall of this terminal is this huge sign that says, Welcome home. Now, she didn't earn that. She didn't deserve it. But that's unconditional love. It's a love that doesn't keep track of bad things, and it doesn't hold grudges. They came out, and they brought her home. Even when she was at her worst. And that is how God loves you. Just as you are, wherever you are, no matter what you have done, you can't lose it. God will not take it away. It's a gift. It's an unreturnable gift. So let me ask you, what failure are you holding on to in your life these days? Where do you need God to help turn you around and help you live a better story? God's said love is unrelenting and it's unconditional. And the third characteristic is that it's unlimited. Now, returning to the story again, David's men have brought Mephibosheth to him, and Mephibosheth bows down to honor David. But David interrupts the whole ritual, because it's like Christmas for David. David just can't wait to give Mephibosheth all these gifts that he's got for him. So first, David restores to Mephibosheth all the land which belonged to his grandfather Saul. Then... David orders Ziba, the servant, to farm all the land and give Mephibosheth uh, the owner's share. And then, then David tells Mephibosheth that he will always sit at David's table with his sons. You see, Mephibosheth is family now. He's royalty, just like David's sons. It just keeps getting better and better for Mephibosheth in this story, right? I mean, he gets the estate... He gets a staff to run it. And if that isn't enough, he's upgraded. He gets VIP status, you know, royalty status. More and more and more beyond his wildest dreams. Beyond generous, exceedingly abundant, extravagant, more than you can ask for or even imagine. That is the unlimited nature of God's love for you and for me. So those are the three sides of God's love. It's unrelenting, it's unconditional, and it's unlimited. Now a guy I know uh, described a game his son played with some other kids in his neighborhood. Each player starts with something small and then trades with a neighbor who's willing to give him something bigger for that item. Then the player finds another neighbor who will trade uh, and give him something even bigger than what he had before. The winner is the one, obviously, it ends up with the biggest thing, right, the biggest item. Well, one afternoon, this guy's son starts with a dime, just a dime, and after a few houses, he'd managed to trade up for a mattress. So he's like carrying around this mattress, you know, just sort of walking around, trying to get it up these stairs to the front door, ring the doorbell, you know, well, uh, someone, he found someone who's willing to trade him for that mattress, and he got a moose head instead. So he's got this moose head now, right? Well, the last home that he went to traded him for the moose head, and he ends up driving home in a pickup truck. Pretty impressive. Kind of makes you want to play the game, doesn't it? How do I get in on that? Well, it doesn't just end there, because then what he does is he takes the pickup truck and he drives it to his church, donates the truck to the church, and they sell it to get some money for a ministry. We all have a story, you and me, but we don't have to keep living the story that we're in. We can trade, you can trade up for a bigger and better story, a story with more meaning and purpose, love and joy, freedom and adventure. The truth is that you and me, we're a lot like Mephibosheth. We're imperfect people who are living in imperfect and sometimes pretty broken stories. We need a love that will pursue us, that will come after us, never give up on us, and fill us more and more. A love that is unrelenting, unconditional, and unyielding. We need Jesus. Unrelenting, Jesus came from heaven to passionately pursue us here on earth. Unconditional, Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sin through his death on the cross. We're royalty. Sons and daughters of the Most High King. Unlimited, Jesus' love will fill you and surprise you. Restore to you what the years have taken away. And it will keep on coming. And it will keep on giving and it will keep on blessing. His love will fill you like a flood. It will wash away your disappointments, your fears, your anxieties. It will heal past hurts. It will satisfy unfulfilled emotional needs and set you free in a way that is sweet release. It is a love so generous, so extravagant, so over-the-top that it doesn't matter anymore what other people think of you or what positions you hold or what, how much money you make because His love is more important than any of that. And all you want is more and more and more of it filling you, living in you, flowing through you so that you can share this great Chesed love with a world that is dying for lack of it. And that, that's the stuff that makes a really great story. It's not a question of when will God show up, but will you see Him when He does? It's not a question of how much God cares, but do you believe He cares as much as He does? It's not a question of if God can, but can you trust He will? It's not a question of what God wants, but do you want God? God. It's not a question of why he won't give you what you need, but do you really need what you want? It's not a question of what you have to do to make him happy, but will you receive what he wants you to have? It's not a question of when or where or how God is going to move in your life, because the real question is, will you surrender your life and your plans to Jesus, whose mighty love will change you and help you live a better life? a better story. So Jesus, we pray that you would come, that you would fill us with your love. And Jesus, if there are things in our lives that are in the way of that, barriers we've constructed, whether that's doubt or fear or lifestyle choices, Jesus, we, we, we want your help in just breaking those down. Because what we want is that love in us in our lives, changing our story. Jesus, would you do that for us today? And we pray it in your name. Amen.